This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Equity mates and the people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. This is general advice only. Please speak to a financial professional to understand how they pertain to your individual situation. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you Welcome to episode 6 of Equity Mates. Here we have the second half of our interview with Andrew Brown. If you haven't listened to the first half, we'd encourage you to do that first. That's episode 5 of Equity Mates in your podcast feed right now. But here's episode six, where we talk about all things investing. So I guess now maybe we'll move into some of the more uh, current day things that you're looking yeah, at. And absolutely. we want to get your opinion on some things that are happening at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess by way of introduction to it all, maybe do you want to tell us a little bit about East 72 and yeah. what you're doing at the moment? Yeah, East 72 um, is basically a company I... Uh, I found a company on the NSX. There are two stock exchanges in Australia. There's the ASX, which is obviously the main stock market. There is like a second stock market called the National Stock Exchange of Australia. It used to be called the Newcastle Stock Exchange because it was headquartered there. Uh, It's not anymore. It's in Sydney now. And basically, it's an exchange where the compliance regime is not as strong as the ASX. So, um, And companies can raise smaller amounts of capital, um, you don't have to have as many shareholders. Uh, you don't have to uh, publish a lot of the sort of corporate governance stuff that the ASX uh, requires from you. But you're still subject to the Corporations Act. Okay. So I can't have accounts that are non-compliant with the Corporations <laughs> Act. And so my accounts, in fact, are pretty much every bit as good as an ASX set of accounts. In terms of the financial accounts, they are. But it doesn't have all that other stuff that the ASX requests from you that you'd find in a really big company. So, And, of course, there's a lot less liquidity. In other words, less share trading on the NSX. But they're actually starting to do something about that now. Um, So the reason I did it was um, on the ASX, you are not allowed to have non-voting shares. On the NSX, you are. So you can have two classes of shares. So people... People can have an economic interest in the company, but they may not have a vote. Yeah. In the case of East 72, we haven't used that yet, and, and it's probably un, unlikely we will, given that we've just raised um, you know, a little bit of money from a variety of people. Um, I found what's called a shell company. A shell company, just for your listeners, is a company that's listed on a stock market. has nothing in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it just has its listing. That's its sole asset. And I found a company that sold its major business, which was in a subsidiary. So it's just a company that had uh, no money. Um, and the costs of its listing, so listing fees, having it audited, running a share registry and things like that, were being met by the directors out of their own pocket because they were looking for a business to be sold into it in exchange for its shares. And I came along and the attraction to me of doing that was uh, it had um, it had a... 
significant quantum of franking credits in it. Franking credits are the tax credits that are attached to dividends, um, which are based on obviously tax that the company has paid and obviously make superannuation fund investing a great idea. So there were a lot of franking credits in, so my lovely wife and I ended up uh, putting some money in and we ended it, because it was very small, we ended up with 69% of it and we've since diluted that down by issuing shares to other people as well as putting more money into 23%. What do we do? We are what's called a global long short uh, investor and global, we invest outside of Australia as well as in Australia. Long short, we buy long positions, in other words we buy shares in companies but we also short sell. In other words, we short sell companies that are overvalued, in our opinion, or have fraud attached to them, which is a bit bit rare, um, where cash flow and um, profit don't line up and where the company's basically going to have to take on more debt um, or where we think the industry change is going to be acute and and, take down the business in, in, um, in, in various ways. Uh, or in some cases, they're just so plainly overblown in valuation, it's not funny. Mm. So um, we also do um, short sell indices, in other words, you know, the Standard & Poor's 200, the US Standard & Poor's 500, to regulate our exposures. Okay. And we do use financial gearing, in other words, debt. Yeah. And by using futures as well, then obviously we're taking on what's called synthetic gearing. Because obviously if you buy... If you buy $1,000 worth of futures, you actually gain exposure to much more than that. So um, so that's what we do, and we've done reasonably well since we uh, restarted this, this thing in May last year. Our return through February is about 51% wow. before expenses. In, in this financial year? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Wow. yeah. Just so. to make that clear to the listeners. <laughs> Over so, 50% in absolutely. half a financial year. <laughs> yeah. uh, our second largest position had a takeover offer uh, lobbed on it three weeks ago, which we were very happy about, which is a US investment company called Fortress Investment Group. So we were buying the stock at about $4.80, and the takeover offers at $8.03. So wow. we're quite happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So, so we, were, um, we were having a look at your website before this interview, and yes. one thing that did catch our eye was... You hold a short position in Apple. Yes. And now Apple's a company that most of our listeners will have obviously heard of. Absolutely. In, um, in our podcast last week, we talked about how it has $230 billion yep. sitting offshore at the moment. In cash. So Yeah, yeah in cash. So yeah. yep. why, why the short position? Okay. A um, couple of reasons. I... Um, Apple, Apple's had a fantastic run as a stock, okay... And it's moved to a stage where I think it is more than fairly valued. Okay. Now, the reason I say that is in the past, and I'll come on to why the past is different to the future. If you look in the past, every company that relied on a device as its key entree, near as damn it, weren't broke. Yeah. Uh, Blackberry, <laughs> Nokia. Yeah. Okay. Uh, are two are two um, are two really good examples. Now, the bull or positive case for Apple is that devices are doing more than that, because devices are an entree to an ecosystem, whereby they create an annuity income stream. Okay, an annuity income stream is basically something like a monthly subscription. Okay, so 
I believe that Apple's growth over the past 12 to 18 months has been aided by Samsung's woes. Even though, please don't forget, it wasn't the Samsung phone. Not, not the core Galaxy 7 phone. It was the Galaxy 7 Note, which is a bigger sort of version of the phone that was the problem child. But it quite clearly sullied Samsung's brand. If you don't think that Samsung are not going to come out all guns blazing with the Samsung Galaxy 8, you must live in another galaxy. <laughs> okay, so I think that's going to, it's going to really, you know, start to threaten Apple more. Apple are being threatened by all kinds of um, Chinese, not knockoffs, but Chinese, you know, devices. And don't forget, a lot of Apple's growth has been in China uh, because of the brand awareness. Now, the other side to it is the ecosystem. Apple is really quite a closed system, as you well know. You know, you use iOS on a laptop, you use iOS on an Apple phone, and so, of course, you know, you then go into iCloud as well, okay? Whereas, you know, there are many more devices that are basically in the Android sphere, um, you know, and don't forget who created Android, you know, the mighty G, Google. Um, and basically, it's my contention that... that People will gradually find that the, the, the Google sphere, if you want to call it that, and the Android sphere, and whether it's you know just using G drives, uh, you know, and using other other forms of cloud, um, are actually you know is gradually going to basically dull Apple's growth down. And as far as I can see, everybody in the world that's bullish about Apple seems to own the stock, you know, now including the man who says he doesn't understand technology, yeah. uh, uh, Mr. Yeah. Warren E. Buffett from <laughs> Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah. So, you know, basically, you know, my, my view is, um, you know, my, my view is that, that all that's sort of pretty well in the price. Um, and that you know Apple's real growth has come when they when they've introduced sort of just knock you out product. Yeah. You know the, the the original iPod, which changed the nature of music streaming. You know, well changed the nature of music. Full stop. The iPhone, which obviously was you know really the starting point to the devices we all have now. Yeah. You know, is there more of that to come? Well, we can't categorically ever say no, but basically. I think it's going to be a lot harder for them to create new things. And you've seen that because their new innovations in recent years have tended to be a bit more of a struggle. Yeah, the Apple definitely. Watch, most obviously. Yeah. And tablet. I love tablets, but oh, I've got to accept that I'm probably in a uh, minority. Mm. Mm. So. so there's been a lot of chatter sort of at the mm. moment about a lot of uh, markets being overvalued, yes. both domestically Yep. And overseas, yep. And you being an investor who loves an undervalued market, yep. Where, where does that sort of hold you at the moment in terms of cash position for E72 and also yep. your ac activity in trading? Okay, we have, um, despite uh, basically, we've pretty much hedged all our capital, so we actually have uh, a, a pretty much a zero exposure to markets. And when I say zero, sorry, zero net exposure to markets, which means that. The money that we have invested long, in other words, the shares that we own, okay, we've actually offset that with short positions in the index or other shares. Mm. Now, to give you an idea, when Brexit happened towards the end of June, um, in uh, East 72 is in its infancy, so um, we, we had about 140% exposure. And so what that meant is that our net exposure, we actually had our capital and borrowed 40% more than it because shares were cheap. 
if you go back, and everybody talks about Brexit, go back a year, go back to the 11th of February 2016, and you'll find that coincided with markets around the world roughly having fallen 15% over the space of six weeks. Okay, that's a fair correction by any stretch of the imagination. And what that did was it left some shares extraordinarily cheap on any basis. Now, to give you an idea, in my private accounts, I had four times gearing. In other words, I took a dollar of capital and then had another $3 of debt piled on top of it. Because um, I was the proverbial kid in a candy shop. Okay. You were able to buy things like, okay, and this this is what this is where value and you know, give you an idea. I was staying up all night, like twice a week, okay, um, buying Bank of America stock at eleven dollars eighty. It's currently twenty five, okay, and eleven dollars eighty was like a thirty percent plus discount to its book value. I was buying Morgan Stanley stock at twenty three, and their book value is sort of like thirty plus. You could have bought. You could have bought what some people think is the most evil company in the world. I love it. Uh, Goldman Sachs. You, know, you could have bought those below net tangible asset backing. In other words, all these people that do all this amazing work for Goldman's, you're getting them for nothing. Um, and there, there were heaps and heaps of examples around the world where you could buy investment companies at 30-plus percent discounts to relatively easily realisable net asset backing. Why? Because people say, oh, China's slowing, the world's ending, <laughs> oil is at 20 odd dollars. You know? Yeah? yeah. yeah. You know, don't ever forget, markets, markets, you know, markets go, you know, mad at times. You know, people go absolutely crazy, but they go crazy both ways. They go crazy thinking markets are never going to stop going up. And they also go crazy thinking markets are never going to stop going down. And so, all we'll say is the, um, um, the Standard & Poor's 200 in Australia last February was at 4,600. It's now kind of 5,750. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, the Dow, the Dow Jones is up somewhere in the order of 35% plus since then in a year. Yeah. Well, if I deliver you 35% in one year... From a level which, don't forget, wasn't, you know, whilst the market had come off 15%, uh, you know, what, what you've noticed is I was buying cheap financial stocks. Yeah. If you have a look at Amazon around that time, you'll find it's about the same price it was a year ago. Mm. Okay? Um, so, you know, it's, only, it's certain parts of the market that were very, very cheap. Uh, and so, you know, that, that's one of the reasons my returns have been really good. Um, you know, is that I captured at least a good part of that in E72, and the returns in my private accounts are obviously pretty, you know, pretty similar. So you don't think there's that much undervalue? No, it's finding it. It's it's a it's it is a lot harder to get it, Bryce. It's a lot harder to find it. it it's I have to say, at the peak of any bull market, there's always some undervalued shares, and at the bottom of every bear market, there's still some overvalued shares. But it's getting a lot harder to find. You know, really. Uh, butt kicking value uh, in, in my eyes. I can find some, um, and I might even share one or two things with you. If you <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah. So, is the plan to sit and wait then? Um, no, the plan is basically to try and, you know, if, if markets do correct, I mean, I'm hoping to make money out of securities that I think are overpriced. Yep. 
um, and make money as they come down. <clears throat> I do obviously have a core holding of some stocks. I don't, you know, I don't want to give anybody the impression I sit there trading frantically day in day out because I don't. Um, you know, but certainly, you know, I'm holding on to my core stocks. You know, which um, you know I still have, you know, a number that I think have got you know decent upside. Uh, but I've, I've done a lot of hedging because I think overall, uh, when you look at the overall market indices, I think that, that they're they're too fully priced. Mm. You know, when you aggregate up the values or the earnings of each of the companies that make up those indices. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, so. I guess something that maybe in terms of the... This is off the question, but just for uh, a bit of a more basic understanding, what would be some advice for people who don't really have the option to hedge as yep. such? Yep. In a market like this, yep. what would be, what would be some be, advice? In, in a market like this where you don't have the scope to hedge, I mean, first of all, don't get panicked out of the market. Just because Andy Brown thinks market indices are fully valued, if you've got a good portfolio of stocks um, you know then if you're doing what I've said to do keep interrogating the thesis okay then there's no change to that okay and so if you believe that your securities are still you know reasonably undervalued they've got upside the management keep doing the right things then don't get panicked out of them um, and of course what you should do is if the market were to fall 20% and your shares were to fall 20% um then, you know, obviously what you try and do, if that takes them to well under what you think they're worth, then you buy some more, yeah. okay, or across your portfolio. Now, remember Warren Buffett's advice, you know, I mean, you know, he's a little bit extreme, you know, but basically, you know, you should, you know, if the stock market were to close for 10 years, it shouldn't worry you because you have a, you have a, a claim or a stake in, in a really good business. So um, I can assure you, I mean, one of the things that really spooks young investors is the fact that there is a market. Now, imagine you owned a house and every day I came along and gave you a price for your house. What would you do? You, 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 would, be, you, would, you would be prone to transacting. Yeah? Yeah. You know, and you know, that, that's, that, that's, the, you know, that, that's the quote on your website. You know, in the short term, the market's a voting machine. In the long term, mm. it's a weighing machine. And so you mustn't get panicked into or out of stocks just because there's a quoted price for them every day, particularly if you're a small investor. Focus on the company. Focus on why you're there. Is it still? Is that still happening? And then if you get it, you know, if you've got a bit of spare cash and you've got a chance to buy more at a very cheap price because markets come down, do it. Let's just put it this way: um, I don't get excited by markets going up and up and up. I get really excited by markets going down and down and down. <laughs> and all I'll say to you is, if the price of toilet paper in Woolworths and Coles was $5 a roll, okay, would you be running off to buy it? Or would you get really excited when the price of toilet paper at Woolworths and Coles was $5 for a 50-pack? You know, you want it to be five dollars for a fifty pack, yeah. and yeah, it's crazy. You find so many people, so many individual investors get really excited and want to buy into the market when it's going up and up and up. Yeah. And that's you know, it's FOMO, fear of missing out. Mm. Okay, whereas what they should be doing is when they see in the paper market crashing and everything else, that's when they should be, you know, getting getting the calculators and the computers out and working out what do I want to buy. Mm. Yeah. Because that's when you get a bargain. Mm. Yeah. 
you're up, Ren. So, something that um, Bryce and I are interested in, um, mm. and that we both hold some stocks in, yeah. and um, we know from your background that you have some experience in, is the agricultural sector. Sure. And um, so you, for 13 years, were a director for the Australian Rural... Capital, so yeah. Australian Rural Capital, yeah. Yep. Um, what, what do you think the prospects are for Australian agriculture going forward? Okay. It was only part of that period of time the company focused on, on, on agri-investing, but um, the prospects are really interesting. Um, you've got to remember, I mean, like, you know, agriculture is just, you know, it's a multitude of different industries, okay? Not only different commodities and products, so I think it's a fair comment to make that, you know, the global outlook for sugar might be a little bit different to the global outlook for beef, which would be a bit different to the global output for wheat and grains and things like that. So that's the first thing. You don't have to just invest in the land or, or the grower. Um, one, of the things, um, one of the things in Australian Rural Capital is, is we have big investment in um, a piece of what we call agri-structure, which is the infrastructure behind agriculture. So uh, Australian Rural Capital owned 11.5% of a company called Namoy Cotton Cooperative. And Namoy Cotton is the biggest cotton ginner in Australia. So what drives Namoy is not the cotton price. What drives Namoy is the volume of cotton. It goes, goes through its gin, its gin. So if there's a drought, don't get much cotton through. If, if the weather's been good, then the cotton crop's really good and, and it gins a whole lot of stuff and makes a bunch of money. So you've got to really focus on agriculture, not, not only in the different areas. So, I mean, the beef price has, re- has recently been extraordinarily high and it's probably going to start coming back. Um, you might ask the question, does sugar have a major health issue over it? Question mark, in the long term. Um, and then, you know, certainly grains and certainly protein, you know, generally we know that there's basically a global shortage. Um, and so Australia is a gross generalisation is really well placed because we grow this stuff well, we grow it relatively cheaply you know, and, and everything else where Australia, where a, a lot of the gains I think are to be made and unfortunately there are not very many investments on the stock exchange like this is in the next step down which is the processing and the infrastructure, so companies like Grain Corp, you know, having a bonanza you know, this year uh, Namoy, as we've said, um, you know, Namoy have got a very specific restructuring taking place to free up their share register. Um, you know, and try to look for companies like that, that that are either processors or involved in the infrastructure. Now, unfortunately, that might have taken you into something like the Murray Goulburn Cooperative, which would have been a <laughs> bit of a disaster if it did. Yeah. But it, it's not just about growing, because you've got to remember, basically, you know, the the... The value of land goes up over time, but you know it tends to be quite slow. And obviously, if you were um, a farmer, imagine you just invested in the farmer, um, then the value of the land's okay over time. But you know you do unfortunately get feast and famine, you know, with droughts yeah. and everything else. And there, there really, I mean, there's a couple of stocks: Australian Agriculture Company and Elders. Yeah. Um, and certainly, Elders has regenerated itself quite brilliantly over the past two or three years. Um, to service, you know, to service the sector. There, there are some others like Rural Co as well, which supply. You know, they're basically big suppliers of, you know, fertilizer and everything else. Yeah. So, 
it tells you, I mean, it's not just the sort of core thing. It's kind of like who provides the services so, to yeah. it. And if agri is going to grow, are they going to grow with it? So with Australian Agricultural Company, they, yeah. they recently vertically integrated and yeah. now uh, own everything from growing the cattle to yeah. exporting the cattle. Yeah. Do you think that those vertically integrated companies are a good way to get exposure to the processing? or um, Depending on where they're integrated, typically, yes, because there should be some value add down the chain. Um, so... I mean, the issue with Australian Agricultural Company is basically it's a control company. Um, uh, there's basically a, a, a UK slash Bermudan based guy, Joe Lewis, actually effectively controls Australian Agricultural Company. So you've got to be satisfied that you're happy with Joe's treatment of right. minority shareholders. Yeah. Um, what, do you, what do you think of Joe? Uh, Joe is extraordinarily astute, except in one respect, which of course is one of the main owners of Tottenham Hotspur Football. <laughs> <laughs> case he must have gone off the rails but no they were very smart so um you know but you've got to ride along with him and yeah, that, that yeah. may not be the easiest ride let's put it that way yeah um i have positions i have positions in two companies in the agri space one is namoy uh, obviously uh and the other one is one of the most horrendous floats of uh not last year the year before called wellard w-e-l-l-a-r-d and wellard are by far and away the biggest transporter of live sheep and cattle from okay. Australia to the rest of the world. So if you don't have an ethical problem with is that... Is it live exports? It or? is live exports. Okay. They yeah, provide yeah. the ships. They have five They have five boats. Yeah. And these things are... You know, give you an idea, the latest boat that's in the course of commissioning costs 90 million bucks. Wow. So they're not, you know... They're, and it would be, it's a pretty specialised It's industry. a very specialised so industry. Are they, do they have a pretty high market share in that? Yes, they do. Yeah. But, I mean, the problem was the stock was floated at $1.80 and it recently got as low as $0.17. Cents. Okay. And then the last of the stock overhang, a, a, a group had about um, 8% of it uh, that they were trying to sell. And Robert Holmes, of course, uh, son, has actually bought that 8%. Um and uh, so the stock's now 25, but you know, relative to the dollar 80 float, yeah. and the company's in breach of its banking covenants at the moment as well. Uh, but you know, it's it's an industry that's very volatile. Um, you'd all be familiar with the fact that Indonesia does keep turning the tap on and off to yeah. live cattle exports mm. from Australia yeah. for whatever reason. As yeah. Along the lines of volatility, do you think it's an uh, industry that is also susceptible to uh, disruption? It's not easy to disrupt, to be quite blunt, you know, in, in the way that, you know, we spoke about the cab industry being disrupted and, mm. and everything else. It, it's pretty difficult to disrupt the agricultural industry because at the end of the day, you've actually got to grow the stuff or wean yeah. the animal. And Uber for live cattle. Yeah, yeah. well, I'm, I think you, you, hear of, you hear of, you this know, te- the Japanese growing oh. hydro lettuce and oh, all yeah. that sort of stuff. Yeah, so yeah. you think, like, is well, that you, something that we're looking well, at? Well, if you think about it, I mean, one of, one of the great disruptions in agriculture has actually occurred in Australia in aquaculture, you know, because obviously three of the largest companies in the world in, in, in salmon, you know, are all based not just in Australia, but in Tasmania. Yeah. Two of them are listed, Hewan, which is the smaller one, and Tassel, which is the bigger one. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they've obviously, you know, created this huge market for salmon. And, I mean, that's disruption because it's basically farmed salmon, you know, which some people have issues with. And there are some issues if you watch the ABC Four Corners program about, you know, the, the waste and everything else from that. Right. But, 
yeah, they're, they're the kind of they're, they're the kind of things. I mean, technology plays a role in agriculture. I mean, just just merely you know tracking of animals, you know, and things like that. So technology's got a huge role and can certainly make things a lot more efficient than it has been or is. But in terms of actually, yeah, the sort of an Uber and you know coming in, no, yeah, yeah. no. Yeah, technology is going to, well, according to Monsanto at least, it's going to play a huge role in the next yeah. iteration of agriculture. Yes, it will. The Internet of Things is going to yeah. change, change. It, it, it will change. You know, it's it's a matter of you know like you know how you use it in, in agriculture, and yeah, you know, please don't forget, you know, Monsanto obviously are you know the, the world's preeminent company uh, genetic modification. Yeah. And you know, certainly where I go, there's a big, big, big move back to organic. Mm. And you know, I know organic and GM are not the same. You know, in, in a sense, you can have the same because it's a matter of what strain you grow. But you know, it, it's sort of starting to become a, an interesting issue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, we've we've covered the last question, which was why you decided to go yeah. otherwise than. Yeah, absolutely. Than the ASX, do, you want, you, so. do you want you want to speak? I think I, I think we probably wanted some. I, 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 I don't give stock tips. I was just going to say we should finish <laughs> with the bit burning desire. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you were to absolutely just um, just to give you an idea, um, um, obviously because I've done this for a long time. I mean, I've had friends sort of ask for stock tips, and and I've never given them any stock tips. But what what we've done instead is we've asked friends to pool their money with mine and, and then you know obviously they get the benefit of, of um, you know the, the whole portfolio okay so with that huge caveat okay, um, then the type of things I mean it's it's sort of public knowledge because we're a public company of, of uh, or East 72 is a public company of the sort of uh, some of the sort of positions we have but um just to give you a little bit of uh, sort of out-of-the-box thinking, and I'll restrict this to Australian companies, um, even though it's actually a bit easy to buy overseas companies than you think, but uh, we'll, we'll stick to Australian companies in this. Um, one of the companies I've recently been buying is McGrath, okay, or McGrath okay. Holdings, which really? is a real estate agent. Uh, McGrath was floated last year at above 2 bucks a share, and the current share price is 66 cents. Yeah. Um, it was such a bad float that he had to drop out of Shark Tank. <laughs> was, yes. It's getting slammed at the yeah. moment. Yeah. Well, it's, um, why is that? And people, uh, people may be bought into it on two counts. That First of all, John McGrath is an extremely talented individual and has obviously driven the company from, from its commencement. Uh, but secondly, oh, the property market's going up. The property market going up has next to no influence on McGrath. It has a secondary influence on them, but the primary influence on McGrath is the number of houses they sell for other people or units. So listings, and you'd be well aware that listing volumes have absolutely collapsed until recently where they're showing signs of picking up. And so it's that problem that McGrath have had. Now, there's usually a relationship between listings and price. Uh, because this particular property market's been so absurd, um, what you had was you had masses of listings until about the sort of middle to late 2015, and then listings fell off in 2016. And, of course, McGrath floated right at the end of 2015. Yeah. Well, done. Um, so what I'm hoping for is that basically there'll be more listings, that the market's going to free up a bit, 
Um, and so if that happens, and because McGrath are expanding away from the areas that some of your audience will understand, like the eastern suburbs of Sydney, and you know, they're going to a much wider area, so they're actually growing the business, they're becoming less reliant on things, um, and they've got uh, a mixture of both companies, company um, branches and, uh, and franchises. Um, I think uh, that basically um, you know, the shares are relatively cheap uh, versus what they're capable of earning in a property market that will be more normalised once they've grown a little bit. So in a sense, they're actually, if you believe that the property market's disgustingly overvalued and is going to collapse and cause mayhem, well, it's a pretty good, good play on that because yeah, yeah. they're going to get a whole lot of distressed properties to sell. One hopes. So um, I think that's quite interesting. You know, I think that's quite interesting. Uh, I do stress on all these things. You need to take sort of you know two to five year views on on these things. And if you happen to get lucky before then, well, that's luck. Um, I think one of the other interesting stocks because I think it's trading way below what it's uh, worth is News Corporation. Okay. Um, News Corp. Uh, News Corp is. Um, it, it's a great example of why I do what I do, which is break companies down into their individual bits. It's the largest shareholder, owns 62% of realestate.com. Um, it owns 80% of a thing in the US called Move. It owns half of Foxtel. It owns all of Fox Sports. Um, if you take news, the value of News's stake in REA Group, uh, a value of Move, a sensible value of Fox Sports, a sensible value of Fox, its half share in Foxtel, plus its two shareholdings in Australian provincial newspapers or APN and Seek Asia, it's my considered opinion that you get the rest of News Corporation for nothing. Mm. And the rest of News Corporation is HarperCollins Books and all the newspaper and related digital business, which the newspapers are the Wall Street Journal, the New York Post, Barron's, which is the financial... Uh, thing, uh, that well-known uh, organ of public record of the Daily Telegraph in <laughs> Sydney, uh, the Australian, and of course the Times and the Sun uh, in the UK, amongst other things. And, and if you're in Brisbane listening to this, uh, that august publication, the Courier Mail. So uh, I, I think the stock's relatively cheap. Um, obviously, Rupert Murdoch's not getting any younger, but both his sons are now in the business. Um, and it's um, it's got no debt. It's got net cash. Yeah. Okay. So it's not going out of business anytime soon, like he, you know, like it nearly did in the nineteen nineties. So I think the stock's really, really cheap. And I acknowledge that some of the industries and businesses it's in are not growing at all. Mm. But um, you know, some of these very, you know, they're very, very good at eking a return out of out of those. So I think that stock's pretty yeah. cheap. And I guess I guess that's again illustrates your philosophy. Like you're not yeah. you're not worrying about their growth down the line. Like if it's a good value no. investment, then it's that's right. Value, yeah. Probably the third. If, if I give three stocks, I think that's, yeah, that's probably give us as many as you yeah. like. <laughs> Build a small um, portfolio. Yeah. <laughs> the third one I think is really interesting again because it sort of exhibits the sort sort of style that I like to exhibit. Um, the company's called. Um, it's called PM Capital Global Opportunities Fund. The stock code is PGF. Um, it's a uh, what's called a listed investment company. So it's a company that invests in other companies. 
Um, it's uh, basically it's about a $400 million listed investment company. Um, it was set up in 2014, I think it was. Uh, it's run by PM Capital. PM is Paul Moore. Uh, Paul's a uh, very, very smart guy. He was part of the uh, amazing group of people that were at Bankers Trust or BT in the late 1980s, and those people brought you Kerr Nielsen, and his Platinum, Chris Corrigan, who um, obviously was heevily involved in the uh, stevedoring dispute, um, and many others. So um, Paul's portfolio is it's a global portfolio. It's chock full of global banks, which I still think are very cheap. It's chock full of global alternative asset managers, in other words, people that manage things like private equity um, and hedge funds and things like that. Um, and you can actually buy this. It has a net tangible asset backing before its tax liabilities of about $1.17 a share, and you can buy it for about uh, $0.96 cents at the moment. Wow. So it's about a, uh, it, it's roughly about a 17 plus percent discount to its pre-tax NTA. That's pretty wide by the standards of Australian listed investment companies. Mm. Why is it a discount? Well, its first year was pretty ordinary. It, it just right. got off to a pretty bad start. But you know, Paul's a long-term investor. He has an exceptional track record. And so, you know, my figuring is that I can buy a portfolio of stocks that, in my opinion, I love. You know, at you know seventeen percent cheaper than their you know accumulated public market price. Mm. So why wouldn't I? Yeah. So I think that's really good. I would love to see Paul buying his own buying their own shares back. I think that would be a great use of their money. Yeah. Uh, and and I hope that they will look to do that uh, and close down the discount. Um, so you know, I, I think that particularly if you don't have a lot of money. And you don't feel inclined to want to just dip your toes yet into individual companies. If you want something that's going to reflect global stock markets and particularly um, Paul's view of them, then um, you know that, that's that's quite a nice investment yeah. at a, at, a, at the cheapest price relative to you know, the cheapest share price relative to the net tangible asset backing that's been since it listed. Mm. Great. Well, three very diverse. Di- Different businesses. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you got to remember, News Corp is a bit influenced by real estate. But, yeah, uh, so I hope. I mean, the, the idea behind real estate is, and I hope. I mean, some of the examples I've given you, with, you know, particularly cab charge, which I think you know was, was the ultimate. But think outside the box a bit. Think about how you can get exposures to things in a slightly different way. Um, is is always a bit of a you know it it, it means that your thought process is a bit thorough. Um, and you know it's a bit more intellectual than, than the average. Well, oh, it's good. There's a lot of people outside the shop. It's going up. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, Andrew, I think we'll wrap it up there. No worries. Yeah. Thank Thanks you so for your much. time. No pleasure, yeah. guys. And and seriously, good luck with everything. I think um, yeah, it's it's really important. I mean, one of the biggest one of the biggest things missing in Australia is uh, advice. Um, and you know, as we well know, you know, the advice given by a number of major supposedly financial advisory groups is pretty ordinary. Um, and uh, the more work you can do yourself, so that if you do have a financial planner or advisor, you can quiz them, and you can interrogate them better. And of course, the more work you can do yourself and, and invest your own money, because it's so much easier to do it and so much cheaper to do it than it's ever been, the better. And anything that adds to that is good. And anything that adds to that for particularly younger people, 
Uh, it's really important because, you know, don't forget if you start at age 24, then you've got a year's earnings by the time you're 25. And, mm. and um, as uh, Keynes is reputed to have said, but nobody can actually find it anywhere, of course, the eighth wonder of the world is compound interest. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you've certainly given us a lot of advice for people that are starting out all the way through to expert yeah. level. Absolutely. So I really appreciate your time. No yeah. problems at all. And Thank good you. luck with everything. And anytime you want to come back, I'm more than happy. Thank you. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Equity. Equity mates and the people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. This is general advice only. Please speak to a financial professional to understand how they pertain to your individual situation. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.